Hi, this is Stephen Laddick. And I'm Kent McPhail. Welcome to What the M. The podcast about the mortgage default servicing industry. What the M is a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes dropping every other Friday. This episode of What the M is brought to you by Guardian Asset Management. Guardian Asset Management is the one-stop shop for lenders, servicers, hedge funds, residential and commercial investors, and government entities that need a full suite of property management solutions under one roof. Good afternoon, Steve. How are you doing today? Never had a bad day, Kent. So uh, we're coming off uh, Thanksgiving week, and I assume that uh, you probably had a few people at your house and filled up on the turkey and dressing and such. Uh, fantastic week. Had about 20 people over for Thanksgiving and then got up the next day and went out to Michigan to go see Penn State whoop up on uh, Michigan State and then went to uh, Ohio State, Michigan the day after. So Damn, good weekend. Sounds like one. So do you want to tell our guest today what the show is going to be about? Absolutely. And to our listeners out there, hope you're all having a wonderful holiday season. It's good to be back. And on our show today, we're going to be talking about the many factors in the insurance industry that are dramatically affecting the cost and in many cases, the availability of homeowner coverage. We're also going to talk about the effects these factors are having on escrow payments and home affordability. So with that, Kent, why don't you introduce our guests so we can get into this topic? So our guest today went to the University of Southern Mississippi, where he received a BS in recreational therapy. That is also where I graduated from undergraduate school. He has over 23 years in the insurance industry, specializing in commercial lines coverage. He currently is an executive vice president with Hub International. Among his various talents and achievements, uh, he, he was a scholarship player at the University of Southern Mississippi, where he played on their 1987 NIT championship team. Please welcome to the show, Alan Chapman. Hey guys, thanks well, for the welcome, sir. Thank you for being here. And uh, you know, this funny. This show always used to veer off into sports questions. So with the 1987 NIT championship, I have to start out with some sports talk. You beat a little school in that championship from Philadelphia, LaSalle University. We did. LaSalle. It's a shorter commute for them than the folks from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So they had a nice, nice turnout there in uh, Madison Square Garden. Uh, but we sent them home with a loss. My wife, my wife used to be the associate HR director of LaSalle University. So can, can you name two famous basketball alums from that school? Uh, well, there's uh, Lionel Simmons, the L train. Ooh, that's a big, big time one. Yeah. Probably their all time leading scorer. And Tim, uh, he was a point guard, later went on to play in the NBA. I'm skipping on his last name, maybe. Uh, yeah. I was thinking Tom Gola. And, you know, everyone watches on TV all the games. Bill Raftery. Oh, that's time. right, Bill Rafferty. That's right. Mm-hmm. Speedy Morris was their coach that year. That's right. Speedy Speedy made his reputation in Pennsylvania, won many Philadelphia Catholic League high school titles. But uh, Speedy's a good man. I tell you what, Steve. Back uh, during the nineteen eighty seven season, and particularly when they you know got into the NIT tournament, you know it was a very exciting team to watch. And I was at that point in law school up at Ole Miss, and. Uh, yeah, it was it was a joy to watch that whole process go forward, and and 
get to watch them, you know, leave with a with a championship. But so sorry for the digression there, audience and folks out there, but I'm, I always love talking basketball now that college basketball has started again. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Temple Temple beat LaSalle in triple overtime the other night. So good stuff. So but Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up in the insurance industry after winning the 1987 NIT. Yes, yeah, probably like most insurance professionals in this industry, uh, we all got here by accident. There's probably about 10% of the population that, you know, had family in the business or, or went to risk management school and, and decided you know, actively, they wanted to get an insurance. Um, I managed healthcare facilities for about 12 years out of college, and then um, quickly decided those retirement communities I was managing, I was going to go from uh, running them to living in them in a blink of an eye. And uh, life got depressing. Uh, so I decided to pivot and started selling long-term care insurance. I figured that was a field I was familiar with. People were bringing their moms and dads into those facilities on a regular basis and trying to figure out how that was going to be funded. So uh, pivoted from management into long-term care insurance sales and, and then pivoted from there to a local property and casualty shop here in Mobile. Um, and then about four and a half years into that agency, they sold to an international firm, Hubbard International, who I'm with now. Well, Alan, we really appreciate you uh, coming on the show today, and you've got a lot of knowledge about this topic. And I guess the, the billion-dollar question that homeowners have, and quite frankly, Kent has, is why at this point is the homeowner coverage so expensive and what what's driving that? What are the different issues that are driving that? Yeah, so we're, we're living in that world on a daily basis. I mainly do commercial, but we do have personalized clients such as Kent. Um, and it is a confluence of uh, almost like a perfect storm of various elements that have come together that are creating that pricing change that's been significant for folks. Um, two, two major factors that I'll just touch on briefly is the frequency of events. Uh, we're seeing more catastrophic events that are happening. Uh, we refer to those um, as cat events. So the frequency of cat events and the severity of those cat events are, are driving up losses for carriers. We're also seeing population growth and, and an increase in population density in coastal areas. So you've got more property that's along the coastlines that are ripe for being damaged from a CAD event. And then the gift that COVID just continues to give, inflation has had an impact on that mixture. And then lastly, just a shrinking of capacity in the, in the reinsurance market um, has, has caused pricing pressures as well. So all of those combined is what's equating into paying for the for the buyer in terms of what they're paying for, for insurance. Why don't we take those one at a time and break those down in terms of what the effect is and and ultimately, you know, listeners, all of this is about trying to pull this back into what effects this is having on home ownership, on the foreclosure rates and future affordability. Um, but anyway, let's let's talk about the different topics you just brought up. Sure. So let, let's talk about frequency and severity first. So uh, for you guys and the listeners, NOAA 
you know, NOAA has a great website that has a deep dive of data uh, on catastrophic events. And they've been tracking that since 1980. And what they categorize as a catastrophic event is any, any single event that causes over a billion dollars in insured losses. And so when we talk about frequency, the 42-year history, the average number of $1 billion loss events has been eight. Eight. Per, per year? Last, per year. Eight per year. In the last five years, that has averaged 18. And here in 2023, with one month to go, we've had 25. So you can see a drastic change in the frequency of weather-related catastrophic events. Um, the other side of that is the severity of those events. So uh, we're categorizing that for anything over a billion dollars, but the average of those events over 42 years has been about $40 billion a year in insured losses. Um, the last five years, that's averaging $120 billion. So you can see from the carrier side of what they're paying the last five years has been a, a drastic ramp up both in frequency and severity of those claims. You know, I was thinking about it as you were talking and, and you know, I assume, I mean, being down here on the Gulf Coast, when I think those sort of events, I think tornadoes, I think hurricanes, but, you know, what we've seen in fires in the West and fires in California and those I mean, I assume those fall under those events you're talking about. Wildfires, convective storms, hurricanes, um, hail storms, uh, all of those can cause catastrophic damage over to a widespread area. Yep. At least no earthquakes recently. But yeah, earthquake they, does it, fall in that category as well, Steve. That's right. It does. But with with the, the increase in these catastrophic events, how is it playing out geographically? I mean, are there do you see insurance companies pulling out of regions as a whole or states as a whole? Or you know, I've read about in California, some of the largest players are coming leaving California. And if that happens, what what's a homeowner supposed to do? And how do you even get a mortgage if you can't get insurance? Yeah, so I, I think the pulling out in states is not just typically driven by the catastrophic risk. It's also driven by the um, legal environment in that area. And it's also driven by um, what the how the insurance commissioner's office in that state is being politically pulled, right? And so you can see politicians who will beat their chest and say, uh, insurance company's bad, and I'm going to you know, elect me and I'll go fix them. And typically what happens in those cases when they don't allow carriers to get the adequate rate they need to ride in that area, and the politician says, no, you can't get that rate increase, and they look good to the voters, well, then the carriers exit the state. And so then you have fewer players, and then they lean heavily on whatever the insurance of last resort that the state puts together. Um, and that generally then gets uh, too heavy to support how many policies it's writing. So you had mentioned earlier um, the reinsurance. And so what effect, what's going on in the reinsurance side of the, the industry? 
as it relates to investment dollars? And again, why, why is that affecting the bottom line as it relates to homeowners coverage? Yeah, good question. And a, and a, and a big and probably the tip of the spear of what's causing the pricing impact. So insurance companies, just like a consumer, they buy insurance as well. So they're hedging for that catastrophic loss in a certain geographic region. And so they'll buy reinsurance. So that reinsurance usually has an attachment point, or you can use the term deductible. So when a catastrophic loss happens and and the payout exceeds, say, $250,000, well, then they can hit their reinsurance to then reimburse them for any losses above that up to the amount of reinsurance they bought. Um, and as this market has begun to firm and get harder, we've seen an exit of investment dollars in the reinsurance market from 22, from 21 to 22, about $66 billion of investment dollars in that reinsurance market exited. That's about 18% of that capacity just shrunk. Um, and when that shrinks, that becomes less insurance that the insurance companies can buy to hedge their losses. And so their cost of risk goes up and they pass that cost of risk down to the consumer. So if you look at Florida and uh, just from the hurricane, he's, you know, and, and if you have, you mentioned the politicians, if you start capping the amount that you can increase your rates, the only way to remain in that market is by having more of the market. I mean, I don't know how it's possible in a state like Florida with the losses they've had. You know, how does the insurance companies not? I mean, you have to you have to greatly increase the rates that are down there. From the people I talk to down there that are living along the beach, I, I can't imagine what they have to pay. Florida's got you know several issues, and what's going on relating to the politicians, relating to the state legal environment as it relates to attorney's fees. Um, that's creating it a, a very difficult environment for the insurance companies, which is helping to push them out and go into what Alan was saying that you you know more and more the state funded insurance is having to cover more, but there's a finite amount that they're capable of doing. Alan, could you touch on what was going on down there as it relates to attorney's fees and the losses they were having there? So Florida, a catastrophic event would roll through. They would open up claims and insurance carriers and the adjusters would go out and adjust the claims, repair the damage. All the commercials then would start running of the plaintiff attorneys. Did you have damage in Hurricane <laughs> And then the homeowners would call the plaintiff attorneys. They'd come out and they said, well, what happened? They said, well, we had shingles missing off the roof and they replaced our roof. And they said, well, did they look at the structural impact that could potentially have happened? They then get them to sign their benefits to them and they file a lawsuit against the insurance company. During Hurricane Irma, 16 weeks after the event, estimated losses were like about $7 billion. Two years later, that had quadrupled. And 71% of that number went to attorney's fees. 71%. It's, it's astounding. And that's when I say attorney's fees, that's not just plaintiff. That's also defense costs for the insurance company. But other that, you know, quadrupling effect of money paid out, by the insurance company, it went to attorneys. 
Well, and I, you know, I'm a firm believer that lawyers have to eat. So, you know, I don't <laughs> I realize who I'm on the show with. <laughs> so don't, don't get carried away with that attorney's fee thing. I mean, we're here to talk about important stuff. So. <laughs> so along the Mississippi Gulf coast, and I say Mississippi, when I refer to the Gulf coast, I'm really talking about Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, what we have seen, I've seen personally, my insurance exploded in terms of the, what the cost was going to be, and we're able to find an alternative. But where we're bringing this around to is the effect that this additional expense and significantly higher expenses is having as it relates to home affordability and foreclosures. One of the things that apparently, then this was a month over month, or so this was a one month increase, I believe, from July to August of 2023. Louisiana foreclosures went up by 40%, California 32%, Tennessee 32%, Alabama 30%, Florida 28%. Do you think that the premiums and the escrows growing exponentially is having that effect or is also having an effect on that? Oh, I'm, I'm sure when you're looking at a compounding effect of not only, you know, a premium is derived by the value of what you're insuring times the rate equals the premium. And so in an inflationary market where it's probably costing 40% more than it used to from when you built your home 10 years ago, costs 40% more to replace it today. So a 40% higher value times a higher rate is equaling a higher premium. Oh, and by the way, that catastrophic deductible, that wind hail deductible is a percentage of the value of your home. So your deductible just went up as well. Affordability of the home is, is going to get squeezed for anybody that's marginal in terms of their month-to-month expenses. Dave, have you ever heard of a named storm deductible? No, I've never had. Oh, welcome to the welcome to the Gulf Coast. So, <laughs> named storm means if an event happens in in the coast, or basically any any NOAA event where the storm gets named, your deductible immediately goes to this named storm deductible, which in many cases is as much as five percent of the value of your home. Interesting. Yeah, so I understand it. it. I get it. Well, and what it amounts to is that's actually that helps lower the amount of your premium, believe it or not. Right. A little bit with the higher deductible. You would think, um, but you don't see that. It's a a reset. It's not an option to go below that. So it's just a reset of how much risk the carrier is pushing back to the homeowner. Yeah, I mean, consequently, you know, short of catastrophic loss, if your deductible is fifty thousand, you're simply going to fix the the shingles and the window and whatever, and it, it it will take a catastrophic loss before you ever begin to touch that policy. It, it it's an interesting issue because when we deal with mortgage servicers, you know, obviously a lot of these homes in the catastrophic event had these mortgages on them. So there's a lot of interplay between the insurance company and the mortgage company. And I, I see it a lot on our end. You know, the person's not living there. It's vacant. It's destroyed. They're not paying. So you have a vacant property and people are fighting over the insurance proceeds. Do you see that stuff playing out, too? The carriers are drilling down more and more on other risks that could impact loss. And vacancy of a property is a big one. 
As it relates to inflation, and I think you sort of alluded to this, the cost of building materials. So when the carrier's having to go and replace a roof or replace a what, I mean, at least from what I'm seeing in the construction industry, everything is a good 20, 25, 30% more. Again, forcing the losses on the insurance companies to be more significant relating to the storms. As it relates to the increased cost and premiums, there's certainly people that can can handle those sorts of increases. Where I think it's coming to the bottom line on the increased foreclosure rates are individuals who have fixed income, you know, and it may be a it may be a strong fixed income. But I mean, if you're if you and your wife are both working and you've got your budget set and you're in your budget, and then all of a sudden it jumps by two thousand dollars a month as a result of coverage, that's not the sort of thing that you know a a W two paycheck player can typically incur and. That's where I really feel like this is going to boil down to increased foreclosures and as as a result of the insurance. Yeah, I, I can I can certainly see where that that can be a tipping point. My my son is a young homeowner. He and his wife and young family just bought a home, a new home a couple of years ago. And when they did, the interest rate was a little bit higher than it would have been for if they'd have bought the home two years prior and um, I mean, I'm, I'm in the insurance business. I shopped his coverage. I actually shopped his coverage outside of our agency as well and, and encouraged him to take a lower, a lower price from another agent just so it could affect his affordability of what his monthly note was. And as his renewal came up this past August, I was nervous for him about what an increase from that carrier may do to his monthly budget. So, Alan... One of the things we typically do is we ask each of our guests um, if they had the opportunity to sit down with a 20-year-old version of themselves, what advice would they give that young man or that young woman? What you got? Yeah, I, I love that question. I've listened to y'all's show before and and heard, and have heard y'all ask that question, so I'm a little prepared. Um, <laughs> I've given it some thought. Um and kind of waffled between like what would be a really good response versus what is genuine. <laughs> and I think the genuine response for me is I would tell myself, trust your gut and it's, and it's just going to be okay. Don't, don't stress so much. Just keep doing what you're doing. Put one foot in front of the other and trust your gut. It, it's going to be all right. Good answer. Good response. Yeah. That's a, Strong, strong answer. And uh, I think uh, great advice that, that all of us could listen to and, and would have been good advice to get when we were 20. So <laughs> I, I do have um, a counter to that. I wonder. Yeah, I was, gonna I, say, wonder, I was just going to say, well, what was the other answer to it? Yeah, well, what no, was the politically, no, no, still, politically no, correct still, answer? No, that's where I landed. But, but the counter to that that I always wonder is um, – is it the stress and the worry that it's not going to be okay that drives me to then make it work out? And if I got told 20 years ago, don't worry about it, it's going to be okay, would I not have that uh, fear-driven response to do well? I don't know. Yeah, fight or flight. All right, Alan, well, guys. And thank you for being on the show, Alan. Thank you. Very nice to meet you. Nice to yeah, meet you, Alan, Steve. We really appreciate you being on the show. And, uh, you know, this definitely touches on the housing industry, and we appreciate the information 
Um, it's a lot to cover in a 24, 25 minute topic. I'm sure we could go for a long time, but I think we've hit the high points and uh, thank you again for your time. We appreciate you. Thank you guys. If you like what you hear on our podcast and want to hear some more, please rate, review, and subscribe to What the M on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to visit with us on social media, we can be found at What the M Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.